1: Hello and welcome to New Books in the Indian Ocean World, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. This podcast is for listeners who want to sail the waters of the expansive Indian Ocean to learn about his past and present. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Ahmed Al-Mazmi, a PhD candidate at Princeton University. Today, we are here to talk to Professor Hassan Khaliliya and about his new book, Islamic Law of the Sea, Freedom of Navigation and Passage Rights in Islamic Thought, published by Cambridge University Press in 2019. Professor Hassan Khaliliya is a senior lecturer in the departments of Maritime Civilizations and Multidisciplinary Studies, and a senior research fellow in the Leon uh, uh, Ricanati Institute for Maritime Studies and uh, Leon uh, Charney School of Marine Sciences at the University of Haifa. His publications include Islamic Maritime Law, an Introduction, published in 1998, and Admiralty and Maritime Laws in the Mediterranean Sea between 18 uh, to 10.50, uh, uh, the Kitab Akriyat al-Sufun, and the Nomos Rodion, Nautikos, published in 2006. Today's book, Islamic Law of the Sea, discusses the doctrine of modern law of the sea, which is commonly believed to have developed from Renaissance Europe. Often ignored though is the role of Islamic law of the sea and customary practices at that time. In this book, Professor Khaliliya highlights Islamic legal doctrine regarding freedom of the seas and its implementation and practice. He proves that many of the fundamental principles of the pre-modern international law governing the legal status of the high seas and the Territorial Sea the originating in the Mediterranean world are not necessarily European crea- creation. Beginning with the commonality of the sea and the Quran and legal methods employed to ensure the safety, security, and freedom of movement of Muslim and non-Muslim by land and sea, Khaliliya then goes on to examine the concepts of the Territorial Sea and its security premises, as well as issues surrounding piracy and its legal implications, as delineated in Islamic law. Welcome, Professor Khaliliya, to New Books in the Indonesian World. And thanks so much for taking the time to talk about your book. Thank you
0: for having me. It's
1: our pleasure. First, we would like to learn about the author. Can you please start us off by saying a few words about yourself? That is, where you grew up, where you went to school, how you became interested in your field of study, and if you would like to mention any mentors.
0: Yes, um, I grew up in Nazareth, um, Palestine, Israel today. Um, I went to high school in Nazareth, then um, moved to the University of Haifa, where I graduated from Department of Middle East History and uh, and Archaeology. I, I pursued my MA degree in Maritime Civilizations, specializing in Islamic coastal defense system called RIBATS. Then in my second year as a graduate student, I applied to Princeton with the aim to continue my to pursue my my academic career and Islamic coastal fortifications, um, I was admitted in ninety one, um, you know, in the Department of uh, Nursing Studies under the supervision of Professor um, Abraham Yudovich and uh, and uh, and Mark Cohen. um This is how I started, you know, uh, where I started my my graduate studies in Princeton. Um, when I arrived in Princeton, um, I was thinking that, you know, as I said, to pursue my my dissertation on Islamic coastal fortification, um, but my former advisor, Professor Rudvich, urged me to do something else relating to the law. And um, he tried to convince me to go to, you know, to search and to investigate the history of Islamic maritime laws. I have I had that time no background in Islamic fekeh, juris, jurisprudence, But he addressed, he addressed to me one question. He said, Muslims controlled um, a vast region of the oceans, actually the largest uh, maritime empire in history before, before the, the age of discoveries. And do you think that such a vast empire, you know, controlling almost, you know, the two sides of the oceans, the Indian Ocean and, you know, until almost there, and not until there, the eastern coast or eastern littorals of of the uh, Atlantic Ocean. Do you think that such an empire could have have flourished and trade could have uh, developed without having a legal system? That question, you know, just, you know, was, you know, the, you know, was the, the factor that motivated me to study maritime law, and that time when I started doing maritime law, uh, I was looking in the Firestone library. I didn't find anything on Islamic maritime law or law of the sea. So I have to go, all you know, across the primary Arabic sources, page by page, taking the second, you know, the second floor uh, of the Firestone library where the Arabic section, and looking for fatwas relating to maritime law. This is how I got to my subject.
1: Great. Um... I'm, I'm going uh, right now to the same department for my PhD and the names that you've mentioned are part of the department's history and I've noticed that not just you, but there's a cohort of other maritime historians that were supervised by these very names, such as uh, Roxani Margheriti, for example, who also investigated the medieval history of uh, the Adan trade between uh, Egypt and uh, southern India through Yemen. So it's interesting to see that they've supervised a number of students working uh, on on Islamic seas, let's say.
0: That's true. And also Remake Constable, I was supervised by a Professor Ridwich, the late Remy yeah. Constable.
1: Yes, that's that's really excellent. Um let's now delve into the book. Uh first, we would like to know about the sources and the materials that the book draws upon to analyze the Islamic history uh of the law of the sea because oftentimes uh there are misconceptions about that islamic sources are land-centric and the sea is really marginal in these sources so how did you find uh that uh, that claim to be true or not while you're researching in the sources
0: in fact that you know um we are scholarly motivated by uh, by western scholars and uh, unfortunately uh, you know even my books I, I don't use the term medieval because you know medieval applies to Europe doesn't apply to to the Islamic world um across my three books and other articles other other publications I use classical islam this is a first note second note um that's true I and I remember that uh, when I took my comprehensive exam and my advisor my former advisor asked me that, that question is, is you know is a, does is islam afraid of sin and they said, okay, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working on Islamic maritime history. And you asked me this question, uh, you know, so that the question should be, should be something, you know, uh, irrelevant. Um, definitely, uh, what I say that they, that, you know, if you look at the, at the Quran, the term art, uh, a bar, uh, you know, bar was mentioned 11 times. The sea is mentioned two, 33 times. Uh, you know, if, you know, the sea is mentioned more than the bar, you know the land uh, yeah, in the Quran. Now, um, in my book, I started with with the pre Islamic period, okay. And the one of the earliest um, sources on Islamic on Islamic Indian Ocean was written by George Fadlo Horan, Arab seafaring in the Indian Ocean. This is a starting point that we when we deal with them with the with maritime history. At least one, this is one of the earliest sources. When I got to my book, I said, okay. We have, we, we start with the, you know, Islamic legal sources. What are the sources of Islamic law, right? We start with the Quran. Then I got the Quran. I got all, all the 33 verses that deal with, that deal with, the uh, with, the uh, with navigation and the freedom of navigation and exploitation of natural, of the sea's natural resources. Okay. And you discover that. Most, actually, actually most of the Western scholars who deal with Islamic Martim history or Islamic legal history do not refer to the Quran. And this is a big mistake. I got to the Quran and I, you know, and I got to the, you know, classical commentaries. And none of the classical commentaries advocate the right of other nations, of nations, you know, of all nations or whatever nation or superpowers, the right to control or dominate the sea. So and and the principle that the quran the, the quran says okay you have a jurisdiction over over, over offshore offshore uh zone but you don't have jurisdiction total jurisdiction over the high seas okay this is the starting point of my of my research then this you know i, I just the devoted subsection on the commonality of the sea in the quran then we get to the commonality in the sea in the law of nations okay um listen um most of the sources, uh, the, the earlier, the earliest sources on international law, in Islam, were written before the establishment, and you know, before the establishment of the of the f- famous uh, four law schools: the Hanafi, ha- 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 the Hanafi, Maliki, ha- Shafi, and uh, and Hanbali. And the uh, Sir, the book of the books of Sir, touch in one way or another, in coastal in, in, in coastal defense system and touch on the freedom of navigation in Islamic law Islam. This is the second source. And the most important source, and that was really an astonishing discovery, is referring back to the Prophet Muhammad. And I have discovered, I mean, I have discovered, these, three, these treaties and self-conducts were already published by past scholars. But very few paid attention to the, to the maritime aspect of these uh of these treaties and safe contacts and the most astonishing safe conduct I have come across is the treat of Ayala and I can talk about it if you wish
1: right um and, and in pushing back against these misconceptions, uh, misconceptions I guess you must have faced um, some chan- challenging moments in navigating legal and narrative gaps in a scripture when discussing the law of the sea. So how did you navigate these gaps and how did you complement the Islamic sources? I went back to,
0: to, the pre, to the pre-Islamic period, okay? I started with the Roman. I mean, the Roman, we have the, the oldest so far. I mean, the oldest uh, uh, laws are the Roman laws, okay? But the Roman laws are not, I would say, when we deal with the Roman law, we deal with the Mediterranean. We don't deal with the Red Sea. We don't deal with the Indian Ocean, okay? Moreover, with, when dealing with the Mediterranean, it's, 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 you know, it's a unique, uh, sea because the, the whole Mediterranean was surrounded by the Romans. Although the Romans were not, uh, sea travelers with their, I mean, most of the, uh, most of the, uh, sailors and the navies were, consti- were constituted or con- were constituted by, uh, by Egyptians and Greeks. The Romans themselves were Nazi travelers, okay? When we go to the law of nation, okay? Uh, we we don't deal with international law there because they had no power that shared uh, the Mediterranean with the Romans. So most of the European, uh, not only most, the great majority of the early European, early modern European sources Refer to Roman law and ignore other nations' laws. I went back to to the early 17th century with the Hogo Grotius. and you know the, we know the story of what happened with the uh, Katrina um, when uh, when uh, when the Netherlands captured you know the Portuguese the Portuguese uh, ship in the mm-hmm. in the Strait of. Ante
1: Katrina, yes,
0: yes, and. You know he he wrote that that chapter he wrote that chapter you know the, the his book because of the the laws of price and he has a subtopic on the freedom of navigation okay but he didn't aim you know he didn't mean freedom of navigation to non-european but european the europeans have also the right to navigate the, the eastern seas but afterwards we see that the, when the europeans penetrated into the Indian Ocean, there there is nothing called freedom of navigation. And my starting point was how to prove that what, what, what was written by Grotius had already its historical background in other nations. The Muslims controlled, I mean, not controlled, the Muslims dominated, dominated the overseas trade, maritime lanes, and 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 the, the um uh, you know uh uh maritime trade in the indian ocean not by their naval powers but the, by their trade and and uh, commercial activities so the sea until the until the penetration of the portuguese and the, and the penetration of the portuguese was free from uh from uh intervention of naval powers you know, during that period. Yes, and if we backtrack to
1: think about the early Islamic thought, uh, how how do you think the concept of uh, safe conduct uh, played out in shaping the law of the sea?
0: Where does it come from? Ah, safe conduct. uh, uh, A man, you mean? Uh, Yes, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, the earliest maritime safe conduct I have found is related to Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the safe conducts um, he granted to the port city of Ayala, Mekna, um, and uh, um, uh, Al-Ajran and other, other places. I mean, these are the three first places where the maritime aspect is covered there in the safe conduct. Now, if I look at the Prophet Muhammad safe conduct that he granted to Ayala, he has only, by the way, he has only two lines dealing with with that with that uh, with that concept. Two lines. Um, I'm going to read the two lines in a minute, please. Hold. On. This is a guarantee of protection from from God and Muhammad, the Prophet, the Messenger of God, to Yuhanna bin Ruhba and the people of Ayla for their ships. And this is a, this is a most important part for their ships, their caravans by land and sea and they all that they are with them men of Syria and of Yemen the seamen are under the protection of God and the protection of the Prophet Muhammad so two lines what I what again what I understand from the two lines what the Prophet said um that he grant safe conduct to the ships of Ayala ships belonging to the to the you know the ship owners in Ayala the ships arriving in Ayala to the sh- to the people arriving aboard Ay- Ayala's ships or ara- uh, abor- uh, aboard foreign ships traveling for Ayala protection of territorial sea and protection of goods and protection of persons uh, he talked about the integrity of Ayala through the two lines and the safe conduct simply covers covers Ayala and those who arrived in Ayala and those who live in Ayala. Why Ayala in particular? Because Ayala is a kid, this is the, this is the uh, southernmost part of Palestine located nowadays in, in Aqaba, it's called Aqaba and Jordan. Um, and Ayala was the port city of the Eastern communities arriving from China and India to Palestine and, and, uh, and the Mediterranean part, and the Mediterranean region. So the safe conduct normally is granted for uh, for a period of time of one year, uh, unlike the truce, it covers um, it. It provides protection to per, in person and properties in case of the mustamen alien merchant is robbed or killed. The state is held liable uh, for uh, for the safe for for the safety uh, for the safety of, of, of the trader and his his cat, his uh, his chattels as well. Um, the safe conduct later on was copied by the Portuguese in a different way, different way called cartas in Arabic called cartas. But the cartas, unlike, unlike the safe conduct which was given which was granted free, the cartas the person who who holds the cartas has has to pay uh, money in order to get that permission. And this is the way how the Portuguese controlled the overseas trade in the Indian Ocean right uh
1: in covering the the vast geography from the Atlantic to the Indian Ocean do you find Islamic law influenced the development of the doctrine of free uh the freedom of the seas in different ways and in different regions uh or do you find there is a, a homogeneity across all of these geographies?
0: if you look at the Indian Ocean, there is nothing called international law. Simply, people moved free, freely in the Indian Ocean because there, there, there were no, no naval powers in the Indian Ocean. I mean, we, they, they were, late, they were in the in this Southeast Asia, but not in the western part of the Indian of the Indian Ocean. Although we talk about about the Indian, uh, um, um, uh, pirate ships, okay, but there was no serious power, serious. Power in 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 the Indian Ocean. However, the Mediterranean is a different story. When Muslims captured the Mediterranean, when Muslims captured the eastern, western, and southern parts of the Mediterranean, it is the first time in, in in maritime history of the Mediterranean when this middle sea was shared by two powers, Christians and Muslims, from almost three hundred thirty from the days of Alexander the Great until the rise of Islam in six hundred. 34 in the Mediterranean 634. we are really talking about almost one millennium, one millennium, right? The Mediterranean was called Mari Nostrum, our sea by the Romans. It was the Sea of the Romans. However, with the arrival of Islam with the, with the military expansion of Islam, the Mediterranean had been divided by two powers for the first almost three centuries, although that P- European scholars argue differently. For almost three centuries, the the Muslims controlled the Levant, Eastern Littoral, North Africa, Mediterranean islands, Sicily, Crete, Sicily, Crete Balearic islands, Cyprus, and definitely, there was some part of the of, of the of the of the Mediterranean trade wouldn't have flourished without commercial and without diplomatic and commercial treaties. We have little bit evidence from Byzantine Islamic uh, uh, diplomatic treaties. However, from the 11th century onwards, we have pleasure of treaties concluded between islamic entities and christian entities uh, of, of of italy namely um the commercial empires of of italy now through these treaties through these treaties we can trace the development of international law of international law of the sea because these treaties in includes include um the safety of passengers the safety of traders the safety of uh, sailors and ships, uh, the legal status of the ship on the high seas, the legal status of the ship in um, in, in ports and, uh, and inland waters. So we talk really there, we talk about international law of the sea. However, by the, by the time we have treaties in the Mediterranean, we have no treaties, international treaties, either diplomatic or commercial in the Indian ocean, because that the, the, the overseas trade in the Indian Ocean was controlled by the Arabs, by the Arabs of Yemen and Oman, unlike the Mediterranean, which I call it the contested waters, where two powers, Christians and Muslims, fought over the Mediterranean for, for some part of the history. Now, we will get to the Crusaders, despite the enmities that prevailed between Muslims and Christians, there, are, there were treaties that secured Freedom of navigation of commercial ships between the Christian and the Muslim world.
1: Yes, and that leads us to the concept of the territorial sea. So, how does the book explore this concept, and what do you mean by it in both Islamic law and European jurisprudence?
0: Um, the the only part deals. Uh, uh, sorry, the you know the only reference I found in Islamic classical sources to territorial sea. Refers to the Sea of Hijaz, um, Hijaz uh, between between the uh, in the south and Aqaba today, Ayala in the in the north or Tabuk. We don't know do exactly, uh, you know, the that which which what was the northwestern part of of the of of the coastal of the northern littoral. In the Sea of Hijaz, we got we get back to a um, shafii when he talks about about uh, about Hijaz and it's. Territorial sea, and he says there from Shafi, Imam Shafi, he says there that non-Muslims are allowed to travel across the territorial sea of Hijaz, Bahar Hijaz or Bahar al-Hijaz. They can stay over uh, over any island not more than three nights, and but they can't inhabit the islands or the land of Hijaz. This is the only reference which connects connects uh, the the sea to the holy the holy sites or holy, holy places of islam because the hijaz is called haram and the, the whole haram applies to the whole coast of the hijaz and this part of the world by the way is not subject to uh, you know to, to be inhabited by non-muslims either jews or christians in fact that although that prophet muhammad uh during the days of prophet muhammad alayhi uh, Christians and Jews were there until the until until uh, until the reign of Omar, who expelled the Jews from from Hijaz. Now, you go to the Mediterranean. The story is different because the Red Sea was surrounded by an Islamic empire, so there is no threat except for piracy that could have, that could threaten um, innocent innocent passengers and traders in in the sea. As regards the Mediterranean, the system is different because the Islamic coastal frontiers, Islamic coastal frontiers were threatened by, by Byzantines and other Christian powers. Therefore they had to, to create some you know a sort of buffer zone at you know in the sea or offshore zone in which if any ship arrives or watched from the sea, from the shore, um, Muslims can repel or defend their, their coastal frontiers, either by those who station the frontiers or by launching uh, warships against against hostile attacks. So the, if we look at the treaties concluded during the 12th, during the late 11th and early 12th centuries and, and afterwards, they say all the treaties conclude, uh, includes parts called Bihari, its seas, with what meant uh, by its seas um, is the offshore zone of the Islamic littoral. So in this part, ships are not allowed to enter to the territorial sea unless it has it is it has given or granted uh, a man, or the ship is part of uh, or the ship is flying the flag of. Uh, Dar al a abode of truce, or in case of distress, Muslims have to provide had to provide assistance uh, in this case. And in case in distress, and ship Muslims are not allowed to confiscate or to enslave um, voyagers on and seamen or a uh, uh, and seamen even if the ship flying the flag of a. Uh, um you know uh of uh enemy state
1: thank you for elucidating the the distinctions uh, when it comes to territorial seeds um so what insight does the book provide on the relationship between piracy and islamic legal principles challenging the conflation of piracy with jihad um
0: it's amazing when, when reading uh western when you reading uh western uh sources um you can discover that as you said that islam is a land-based is a land-based religion it's not exactly a land-based religion because arabia was surrounded by, by 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 shores we don't know exactly if prophet muhammad sailed by sea or not but but we have we have to distinguish between um between islam between muslims and arabs between arabs who live who, who, who live uh, along the littoral and arabs who live in the desert um, and Arabs are viewed in Western scholarship as people of the des- of the desert. Okay, but when the Arabs arrived in the Mediterranean, they were accompanied by Yemenis and Omanis, the earliest mariners of the early navy of the early uh, Muslim navy. Um, in addition, of course, to the Greeks and Egypt and Copts, there were also Arabs from Yemen and and, and Oman. So. Um, Muawiyah, who established the first Islamic Navy in the Mediterranean, has, uh, had, uh, uh, two, um, two parts, you know, the, the Egyptian part, the, the Egyptian Navy, and the Syrian Navy. And in the course of the history, within 40 years, Cyprus was captured by Muslim roads, and the Arabs, uh, seized, um, twice. They seized, they seized, um, uh, Constantinople in the aim to capture it. And in eight in, in the early ninth ninth century, Crete was part of the Muslim world. Sicily, the biggest island in the Mediterranean, was part of the Muslim world. And Sicily is a different story from because from Sicily, the Muslim world is still almost for 300 years. Uh, from 827 until until 1060 65, direct uh, regime, and then the Arabs were there and even later on. And by the way, from 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 Sicily, um, the whole system, the whole common system, the uh, the common law system was transferred by the Normans from Sicily to uh, to to Britain. And but this is a different story. Now we get back to to the to the to, the, to, the, to piracy. They claim that the maritime attacks launched by the Muslims were not were not. <sighs> A part of the jihad, but they were pirates. We read the story about the know, those who captured the Crete and those who captured the Sicily uh, in 827. You know, the, the Muslim uh during that period of time, the Aglabid uh sent the rebellions, uh the rebels from from uh, North Africa to, to um uh, to Sicily, led by by an old jurist, Asad bin Furat. Um unfortunately when when you deal with piracy and jihad we have two different stories because piracy is mentioned indirectly indirectly in the quran in Surah al-ma'ida uh those who fight god and his messenger and and uh, and islam differentiates distinguishes between piracy and jihad and in Malik Ibn Anas was once asked about about pirates, about the about the legal status of pirates, and he said, "It is more important, it is more important to fight to fight you know, to fight piracy than to launch a war against against the Byzantines." And he once asked about this question: What if a of Muslim pirates joined uh, a naval expedition against Byzantine targets? are they exonerated that's it that are they free from being trialed sent to trial he said no pirates should be trialed wherever you know even if they are even if they are you know even if they take even if they take part in in the jihad so piracy and jihad is two different terms unfortunately again most western scholars apply apply piracy to jihad when jihad is nothing is is is, is legally different from piracy so in case of piracy the rules set out by muslims by the way um and, and you know the the punishment uh, against pirate against pir- pirates they are implemented they were implemented by the french and the british uh in the in the 19th century the the, the quran said they are either crucified in you know, the crucifixion or or exiled or 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 these, these rules uh, were adopted by by the by the brit by the, by the British and the French and they sent the exiled pirates to the new world. Yes.
1: Um and if you would think about the, the notion of piracy further, what contributions does the book make to the understanding of the historical connection between Islamic legal sources and the development
0: of the law of the sea in Christian Europe? Um, if you look at piracy, um, first of all, um, the the rules set out by by Muslims, by Muslim jurists, by classical Muslim jurists, uh, were in one way or another implemented by, by 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 Christian powers, and I may name the French and the uh, and uh, and uh, the Britain, the, the British. Second, when dealing with piracy, it's very difficult to combat you know to combat piracy you you can combat you can fight piracy in the state level personal level and international level in the in in the private or personal level um you never you never sail you know a, 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 you know, a ship doesn't sail by itself you know alone without without being in without being in in a concert or on convoy with other ships right so in case of Distress, you know, pirate attacks or right. or right. natural distress. Other ships can can you know, can can provide assistance. In a state level, um, I will take an example of you know the Fatimid Navy in the in the Red Sea. Normally, this part of the world was was you know was a hut or place for uh, for for pirates. Uh, a nest for pirates um when ships arrived in Aden uh they were normally escorted by military ships until they arrived to i to Aden. from idea the there the the, the the maritime lanes are safe okay. um if you look nowadays what's happening you know at least uh, and, until few years ago what's happening on and you know in the of the Somali coast. Ships, commercial ships used to arrive in Aden, and they used to be escorted by either Danish or American warships. You know, yesterday is like today, sorry, today is like yesterday. The mean, uh, you know, the uh, military means employed by Muslims in the medieval times were are implemented in our days. I, even actually, in fact, when when you sail, uh, of uh, when you sail uh, within the Strait of Malacca, the lo- the longest, uh, Strait and on 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 Earth, almost seven hundred ki- kilometers or more, the are ships are escorted by 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 naval powers. On the international level, mo- most of the treaties I have come across, um, those who can that conclude with the Crusades. With the Mamluks and the Crusades and uh, Italian city-states and um, North African entities, deal with fighting piracy uh, on, on the international level. That's to say that that in case privateers or pirates of whatever entity attacked Islamic ships or vice versa, um, they had to provide that you know that entity had to provide assistance. And if they if the if the privateers happen to be their citizens. They have to be trialed, and they the, the, that yeah, entity had to pay comp- compensation in case of loss to the cargo or in person.
1: And if we move forward, uh, forward in the uh, timeline, in what, in what ways does the book challenge the conventional understanding that the origins of international law of the sea is European?
0: It started with with, Ho- with Hoge Grotius and in the early 1619, and it was it was followed by you know by by, by other uh, European writers. Um, they contend that that um, the law uh, the law of the sea is is uh, an is a European establishment, although that although that Grotius refers to the non Europeans as infidels. And he said that the infidels had their own uh, their own traditions, but he never mentioned what kind of traditions I, uh, uh, they, they they had. They had. Um, um I would say that, and and even actually, Roshes uh, referred to the Bible, but he doesn't refer to the Quran. Although that the Quran during his time was already translated into Latin, so he the um, I would say that it's, it's, it's a sort of a, a religiously motivated uh, uh, view uh, of of the conception of the law of the sea. Um, this is how, you know, how I, I, I get back, you know, as the era source referred to the law of the sea as is, is, uh, is, uh, is, uh, is, uh, gracious, then then Selden uh, added his his commentaries and his uh, conception on the mary clausum, that the sea can be controlled this is a, you know this is the what's called the debate between European writers in the 70, in the early 17th century, but both writers Selden and Grotius paid no attention to other nations' contribution to the law of the sea, although and you know and they existed um, long before 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 the expansion of the European European uh, um, colonialism in the in the eastern and western hemisphere of of the, in the the eastern and eastern hemispheres.
1: Yes, many scholars have called your studies as pioneering, establishing, uh, let's say, a a new field in Islamic uh, legal studies, uh, investigating the the maritime aspects of Islamic law. Uh, In your observation, where do you see the state of the field and where would you like it to go?
0: I have, you know, I started my first book, I called it an intro is maritime law and an introduction because that time I that was a periodic study. Um, you know, I as I said that I had to look for for the sources looking, you know, looking uh, throughout the classical and primary a uh, jurisprudential uh, sources page by page to look for the sources, unlike our days, which is almost as available in the internet. And um, then the, the next plan was the next uh, step was to compare. Uh, this what that was my second book to compare Islamic maritime laws with the uh, with the um, Roman and Byzantine maritime laws what Islam what uh, Islam had adopted what Islam had rejected and what Islam had 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 uh, established uh differences and between um uh, and then uh that third step you have to go for international law of the sea, uh, which is, basically based on my second dissertation. Uh, I submitted to the law school of law at St. Thomas University School of Law in, in Miami. And later on, I developed into a book um, because I wanted to show, you know, to other people what is the contribution, other nation people, what is the contribution of Islam to the development of, of international law. No, I, I couldn't come, I couldn't reach this knowledge without having... Uh, legal background um i i basically after my phd in princeton i pursued my ll my ll m degree in law at the um um school of Law um where the where i specialize in Advent and maritime laws this is how I will, this is how I was exposed to international law of the sea. Um, my my third book, I said, okay, it took me seven years to write this book. Um, I had to look for uh, sometimes in specific terms, in treaties or jurisprudential sources or the like, and to develop the, you know to develop this this concept. Um, in my book, I covered as I said, as you said. Uh, three topics. I uh, never touch on environmental law because of the lack of time. But an article will be submitted in, uh, on a contribution will be submitted to a book which will be published published by Cambridge University Press on Islamic uh, env- uh, Islamic Maritime env- Environmental Law. Um, and from from this book, um, I'm going to, I'm, I have already embarked on a fourth book on the evolution and the development of maritime laws, Islamic maritime laws, including law of the sea in the Indian ocean. And you know, if the time if time is left, I'm going to write a book on the Islamic origins of the early British Admiralty Law.
1: That sounds fascinating. Can you say more about your current projects? Um, which directions are you taking? Are you developing the same sort of set of questions elsewhere or are you taking on different questions?
0: I'm taking more different questions uh, in, in my in my in my fourth book in my in my upcoming book. Uh, in fact, um, this book is um, based on on a body treaties from the early 10th century CE, uh, and the treatise called Masail fi Asbab responsum, regarding maritime issues. Um, this subject is, you know, covers issues pertaining, for example, to boarding process, how, how you know, positioning and seating on on the vessel, the use of utensils, laundry, baking, damage of equipment, dispute on board on board ships, uh, movement of people and um, collisions, seizures. This is very fascinating. We are talking about about almost twenty five pages. But the 25 pages cover of you know you know um vast, you know, really um uh all aspects of life at sea. So this is my project, and uh my project will be uh I will start with the 10th century maritime treaties, uh about the maritime treaties. I and I end up with the with the maritime codes of Malacca from the early 15th century. So I'm going to compare the two the, the treaties with the maritime codes how such small fishing village became an emporium in the 15th century and what was the role the role of Zhang khee the famous chinese admiral on the establishment of islamic maritime laws in the eastern part of the indian ocean
1: that sounds amazing and i'm glad that more scholars are paying attention to Omani body sources. And uh, recently, the book of Professor Elizabeth Lamborn have mm-hmm. uh, drawn upon uh, the body source Bayan al from the same period uh, to discuss some aspects of life at sea. And there is much more in Omani sources about maritime law and life at sea that scholars should pay attention to. So I'm glad that you're uh, picking on that. And, and my own dissertation also uh is really based on on these about sources that i would really yeah to 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 uh to convey more about i guess uh to 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 the readers and uh we've taken a lot of time and uh this has been great and i would ask the readers to go further to these uh, publications to delve deeper into the different chapters exploring the rich bibliography that the book offers as well if they want to explore these uh different subjects uh, thank you so much for listening to today's episode in which we explored Islamic Law of the Sea, Freedom and of Navigation, and Passage Rights in Islamic Thought, published by Cambridge University Press in 2019. This is your host, Ahmed Al-Mazmi. Stay tuned for the next episode of New Books in the Indian Ocean World.